What's up, guys? This is Connor here, and I'm with my buddy Freddy, and he's going to tell you who we are. Guys, we are none other than the Cinema Seekers. That is right. The humblest of film reviewers. Humble because we can't brag about anything at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't brag about one thing. There is one you thing. Text that me. was true. Yeah. Text me the other day that <laughs> you know, we, we are now available on apple podcast which is pretty amazing yes and yes. that is actually uh that's a way that we could potentially get like a sponsor to that we would have to say and hopefully get a little more views but you know that oh, might yeah. take a wee bit longer <laughs> than you know where we are at currently so don't worry about that uh, we'll probably get to all the logistics at the end so you guys know what to do because I listen to a podcast who always says their stuff about Apple Podcasts, so I know mm -hmm. what needs to be done. But again, that is a little for a little later, but everyone should know. So do you want to tell them what movie we watched this week, Freddie? I mean, it's pretty obvious, but I'll let you do the honors. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't listen to last week, you probably have no clue. But if you did not listen to last week and are listening to this week then you should go back listen to last week and then come back and listen to this one mm -hmm. but this week we watched and are going to review pirates of the caribbean dead man's chest yes not dead men tell no tales but dead men's yes. chest <laughs> if I, you were confused by weird. that <laughs> let's just jump right into it because i was telling Freddie, right before we started recording, like, this is the most I've ever written for a single episode. Like, I just spent, like, the last 45 minutes typing up notes. So, I don't know why I have so much to say about this movie, but apparently I do. So, we're just gonna get right into it with movies that came out when this movie came out, which was, um, June... Well, actually, there's a little bit of discrepancy here, but Google okay. has it as June 24th, 2006, which is actually my birthday, so that was kind of fun. And then... Um, Movie Insider and IMDb have it as July 7th, 2006. So again, with like the different dates, I don't know if Disney is just like, this is our movie, we have to release it at Disneyland before we put it in theaters. I don't know if that's a thing. That's what we speculated last episode, but who knows. So there's some, it's, it's either the end of June or the beginning of July, 2006. So we're going to look um, on our Movie Insider website that we always use at movies that came out in, in uh, June 2006. And um, I'm looking at them right now. One of the big ones that I see right off the bat is Cars. It came out at the beginning of June. So, I mean, by the time Pirates came out, it was it probably had a decent run. But, um, you know, that was a Pixar movie. Pixar movies always have pretty good openings. And Cars... I I don't really see any um like box office details or anything like that, but I imagine that a lot of people were probably you know pretty happy to go see that when it first came out. Um, another one that came out is Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Oh yeah, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> not a lot of people like that one. Yeah, there's actually <laughs> I did not know this. Superman Returns came out this this month too. At the end of June, too. So there was maybe a little bit of divisiveness between those two movies. I don't know. I haven't seen Superman Returns in so long, dude. Like, I think I saw it in theaters and that was the last <laughs> time I saw it. 
That's that's probably for the best, my friend. <laughs> It's such a weird movie. It was not a good movie. I actually own like a physical copy because it was one of the DVDs that I had gotten as mm-hmm. a kid, and I I have it just to have it. It's like I have this doo doo movie, but you know, Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor is just weird to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very weird. But anyway, and then um. Um, I don't want to say all the movies that came out this month and next month, so I'll let you have some too, Freddy. Connor, the biggest movie that came out in June, besides Pirates of the Caribbean, has to be Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. (laughs) I was wondering which one you're going to say, dude. I was like, it's either going to be Garfield or Click. (laughs) Which one? Well, actually, actually, I was going to say Nacho Libre. But uh, I was like, let's, <laughs> I let's go for the most ridiculous thing <laughs> that was ever created. Garfield, yep. A Tale of Two Kitties. Oh, which there is you have a it, monstrosity. <laughs> That's just in the podcast there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, also Click and Nacho Libre came out. Those are two pretty significant comedies that came out. It looks like this month was a month for comedies. Too. Yeah, Devil Wears Parada also came out, too, mm-hmm. that month. Emily Blunt, that was kind of one of her bigger films. And then um, there's the uh, uh, the Vince Vaughn movie, The Breakup. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like is, the end that's... of the Vince Vaughn era, too, if you think about it. Because, like, mm-hmm. he was in so many movies for the early 2000s. I mean, he was still, probably still in some after that, I imagine, but I feel yeah, like that's yeah, kind of like he... more on the like when he started to decline in being movies so frequently. Yeah, you're right about that because he has been in movies. His latest movie was um, "Fighting with My Family," which is a movie about um, the wrestler Paige. Pretty good movie. Mm. I recommend. I have not seen that one. But yeah, um, other than that, there wasn't really much that else that came out besides those big hitters which you know cars i remember cars specifically because um mm-hmm. uh we went and saw that for my aunt's birthday because she's a pixar fan and that was a family thing that i did actually here in texas oh, but cool. it was it's so it is that, that's pretty cool that i totally had forgotten that came out so early but 2006 wow it seems like so long ago now <laughs> like, whew. yeah it was um Jeez, I was nine years old when this came out. Oh, goodness. Man, it's crazy. I do have to say, though, July is the month that they're saying it was, I guess, officially released to the public. Yeah. That's also an interesting month. Um, The one that jumps out at me, personally, is Clerks 2, the second installment to the Kevin Smith yeah. filmography. There's also uh, Lady in Water... Which I don't think is... I haven't seen this one, Lady in Water. It's a Shyamalan film. And I, I don't know if this was in like his bout of bad movies. I don't know if it's usually piled yeah. into this. Because <laughs> I know that he had kind of like a, a downward valley of movie quality. And at least that's what everyone says. I haven't seen a lot of his movies yeah, from this, that era. but I think this was in it. But it was the one of the movies that was like it was okay for what it was. Okay, yeah. But it, I, I'll tell you one thing. I've seen this movie and it is. I, I saw it when I was small, so I don't really remember it. But I remember it scaring mm-hmm. the living crap out of me. <laughs> I can tell you that for a fact. Yeah. 
I guess any Shyamalan movie could scare a six-year-old or eight, eight or nine-year-old. Oh, well, you would have been older than six, yeah. but still, you know. Especially there's this one part where, like, this water wolf comes out and starts chasing people. And that's like, no, I'm done. Wolf's coming out of water? <laughs> Heck no. I'm never getting in the pool again. Uh, and it came out of a pool. That's the worst part. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dang. I'm never going swimming again is what I thought at that age. Of course, you know, I forgot that film and gladly saw yeah. it since then. Well, also, Monster House came out that month. Oh, yeah. Monster. <laughs> and <laughs> I've seen it too many times. Yeah, that, that tends to be something. They showed it at school like film. three or four they, times. They, yeah. <laughs> so It was the school safe film. Mm-hmm. So they overplayed the crud out of it. They did. You know, as they, as that, they did with Finding probably, Nemo. <laughs> oh, Finding Nemo. Yeah, that, that that makes you almost not like Finding Nemo whenever they play it over and over. Yeah, I know. I, I, yeah. I, I'm right there. I, I got so sick of watching those movies in, in school. <laughs> but, like, I love the sequel. <laughs> but, uh, absolutely adore the sequel. Oh, yeah, I do we're not that. here yeah. for... I like both of them. I just I just got sick of watching it in school. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I uh, I just saw this right now, but we also had the release of the film Miami Vice with Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell. So that, that's, that's that's a legit movie right there. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. That's like a legit movie, isn't it? Wow, the show is awesome, but I've never seen the movie. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah, I was always the movies like it's good, but it's like you have to be in the mood for it because it is kind of dark. But yeah, that is a movie. It doesn't look very professionally made, so I'm surprised that Jamie Fox uh, was in it. Well, I guess it's and not Colin super... Farrell, dude. Yeah, and Colin Farrell. He looks weird. There's a picture of him right here. He kind of looks like Brad Pitt. <laughs> That's so weird, man. All right. <laughs> Moving on, <laughs> gives you a little bit of context, at least hopefully, for when this movie came out. Because, like like you said, I think this was probably one of the biggest ones of, if not the summer, at least probably the whole year, too. I mean, if not the whole year, probably at least the summer. Because if just looking at the budget on this film and the subsequent box office success that this movie enjoyed, Freddy, I don't know if you've seen the box office on this movie yet, but holy crap, man. <laughs> it is high. Because I haven't I haven't looked just to see. I'm just going to was... wait for you to, to see what the number is because I want you to be as surprised oh as I goodness. was. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. Isn't that crazy? I guess we ought to say it because we're leading everyone on. But this movie started I with know. a budget of $225 million USD. And it made globally at the box office 1.066 billion US dollars. Is that the number you're reading, Freddie? Yes, and it's astonishing. My gosh, I had no idea that this movie did this well critically. Like, that's crazy to me. Or at least monetarily. I know, it is It is interesting that this film actually grossed a billion dollars because, like, Back then, you know, that was that was kind of a hard thing to do, you know, get your movie to make a billion. I mean, this is 2006, this is the first man. Movie we've, 
This is the first movie that we've talked about that's made a oh, yeah. billion dollars. Mm-hmm. First one in the billion dollar club. And I mean, it's it's a lot more common that's... nowadays, but that then again, that's nowadays. Like a decade ago, or more than, or almost a decade and a half place. ago. Like, yeah, that's there's only a handful of movies that were in that, that club. So th- that's very surprising to me. And it also, what's really crazy about this is when you look at the critical reception... It's a lot lower than you would expect for a movie that made this much money, which is kind of surprising to me, too, because I, I wasn't expecting it to be as low as it was. But on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie only has a 53 percent, which is it's kind of 53. Yeah, it's kind of painful to see that, like, because I really this movie is pretty near and dear to my heart. Like you said, the next one is for you. That's probably this one for me. Like, I just remembered this one so well uh, from my childhood. And this is probably the one that I remember the best from my childhood and loving it the most out of the three from my childhood. That that very well may have changed. I don't I won't I won't get in too much with that. You'll you'll hear more about that when I go with my points, because I do have a lot to say about this movie, good and bad. But um, yeah, that, that, that was just kind of crazy to me to see the Rotten Tomatoes score on this movie. Like, this is a great movie. I don't think it deserves a 53 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I know, not at all, dude. Especially like compared to what I gave it for this, because I'm just gonna tease that I mm, I think I gave this a pretty high rating, <laughs> which I didn't expect. Yeah, because you know, the, to be honest, you know, I I remember watching these films, and I think the third one was always my favorite one. But mm-hmm. rewatching the second one last night, I don't know. I was just in awe again, and I didn't think that was gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But just yeah. just little tease there for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you watch this movie in theaters? I I believe I did. I actually think I watched it twice in theaters. Okay. Um, I think I watched it here with my dad during the summer, mm-hmm. and then I went home and I actually watched it with my mother. However, I remember when I went and watched it with my mother, in Mississippi. That the theater um, was having trouble with the projector and the sound adding um, being um, mixed together and it was always off. And so like uh. there was a solid 20 minutes in my theater where everything was it was the screen was black or the audio was off. That's so, rough, I remember that man. specifically. Did they give you a refund? I do not remember. I was too young. Yeah, you know, I didn't pay true. for the movie. I didn't Jeez. care. I'd have to ask my mother and I doubt she remembers that. But thankfully, it was my second go around. So I wasn't super bummed. Yeah. But if I was someone in that theater who had been going to see it for the first time. That would have sucked. Man, man. I would have been PO'd. I would have been like, heck no. Nah, you're going to give me some money back. You're going to give me some free tickets. You're going to do something. I mean, yeah. That's not right. Especially for how long this movie is, too. Like, that would be almost unbearable. Because this is a two and a half hour mm-hmm. movie. Which is very long. Like, that's almost... It's yes, almost too it's long. very long. <laughs> However, when it gets to a certain point in the film, I no longer um, feel it. Feel that link. To mm-hmm. me, personally. Yeah. When it gets to a certain point, which I'll discuss that. Because, you know, the last one is also pretty significantly long. It's, you know, about two hours and, like, 20 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. You know, something interesting yeah, I've that's... noticed with uh, all the movies that we've watched and just movies in general. I've always heard, like, with screenwriting that it's 
it's very hard to write the second act of the movie. Like that's usually the hardest one to write because usually people know how they want to start it and how they want to end it. But writing the stuff mm-hmm. in the middle is is usually really hard for people. And I feel like that comes through with a lot of these movies because especially if the movie's really long, like generally over two hours, it drags in the middle because that was how like Days of Future Past was. Even the last one a little bit towards the middle, it started to get slow before it picked up again. And uh, this one did the same thing, in my opinion. There's a couple things that I want to talk about with that. So I'll just kind of leave it at that for now. But I like I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but it kind of seems like the second act is always what drags in a long movie. Yep, you're exactly right. And in this film, until it gets to like a certain point in the movie... It definitely does. Like you can definitely tell. Okay, they're they're just trying to get somewhere now. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. They're trying. They're trying to get to what they want to show. Mm-hmm. But for me, in this movie, it pays off. For me personally, mm-hmm. there's there's definitely a lot of payoff at the end of this movie. Like it gets really good at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. I so what else do we want to talk about? We we need to get into cast, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, we need you to get into the cast. Okay. Um, um, we should say same director and same writers on this one because we did talk about that last time. Mm, yeah. How you know mm-hmm. Gore Verbinski? Uh, we're gonna mm, and writers, yeah, Gore Verbinski. Same writers. And then of course it was Jerry Bruckheimer who produced it. Mm-hmm. Like you always know it's him because of that famous lightning strike of the tree <laughs> at the beginning of the film. Yep. It's that's like, true. that's what you're known for now. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's okay with that. Because yeah. that's just what he does now. But yeah, the cast. So there were additions to the previous cast. Yes, they definitely that were. We talked about. And they were very welcome additions. Oh I my gosh. So let's just go ahead and say the ones that were already, that we did last time. We don't have to like talk about what they were in and everything because we've already done that. But Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Orlando Bloom, Keira Knightley, that's your big three, Jack Sparrow, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan. They all return. Most of the Black Pearl um, crew from the last movie returned, and mm-hmm. um, some of the, or actually, some of the Bad Pirates, too, returned. Mm-hmm. And the Pirate Duo. Yes, yeah. The Pintle and Rigetti, I guess, are their names, because I'm looking at it right now, but I, like I said, I don't ever remember their names. And... <laughs> um, then, oh yeah, uh, Norrington returns. His uh, the guy who plays Norrington is Jack Davenport, mm-hmm. and the uh, the governor also returns for a couple scenes. And I think the biggest addition to this cast, as far as, far as like different from the last movie, is got to be Davy Jones, played by Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. And I love this actor. Um, he's in a lot of really good movies. He's in. Of course, the first one I see is Love Actually, which I'm I'm not actually a big fan of that movie, but I guess he's known for it. Um, One of the movies that I really like, and I do recommend it, is called About Time. He plays the father in that movie, and it's actually, it's a romantic comedy, so, you know, if you're not into that, don't feel like you have to watch it, but it, as far as romantic comedies goes, it's got a really good premise, and uh, he does a really good job in that movie. I, I like him in that movie. And he's also the minister at one point in Harry Potter in the Deathly Hollows. He plays mm-hmm. Rufus Scrimmagel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know of any other of his movies. I've 
Oh, Connor, I know second. plenty of other movies. Um, if you're any who fans of um, the famous director, and I, I can't remember his name. I'm about to just quickly glance at it. So, I, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright movies. Mm. If you know his films, you know Shaun of the Dead. And he plays Shaun's stepfather in the film. <laughs> and he's definitely an arse in that. Yeah. And then he's also... In Detective Pikachu, he plays he's like this like I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. He uh he's like uh he's like a creator of stuff. Huh. They created this big city. And then um there's also he's also in Rango with Johnny Depp, what? of course. And he plays I didn't, yes, I didn't he know plays that. The, he's he's Rattlesnake Jake. Wow. Oh my yeah, gosh! They play off of each other just like they do in these in the Pirates films. It's awesome. That's great. I need to go that, rewatch that, that actually, man. <laughs> dude, definitely because it's it's awesome and it's funny because guess who directed Rango? Was it Gore Verbinski? Gore Verbinski. Oh my gosh, so that's crazy. <laughs> and it's funny because that man. movie came out in 2011 so it's like he brought them back together mm-hmm. one more time after the end of the part of his pirates trilogy yeah which is amazing dude i am um i'm impressed with this dude's filmography bill's filmography because mm-hmm. my gosh he's in a lot of movies he's in so many like just scrolling through it it's taking me forever to get to the bottom <laughs> man uh, I don't personally see any more movies. Oh, he's in Hot Fuzz, another Edgar Wright film. Ah. In that film, he plays a, um, I think he plays a part of like a group that like a cult almost that runs this t- little town. And if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to spoil it, but very good movie to watch. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Um... Apparently... He's in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I, I love that movie. I saw that, and I can't don't remember, remember him. I don't remember who he plays in that one. Maybe oh, like his... oh, I know. I know who he is. He's at the... He's near the end, and he's the guy that picks up um, the hitchhikers and shows them around the rebuilding of Earth. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. He's in so many Essentially things. Essentially like an everything. Dang. All right. What, well, what? Yeah, let me just ask you: What do you think about him in this movie? Because I, I, I want to know. I mean, his performance is just like wow. Like, I mean, do you feel death, Jack Spa? Do you feel death? Do you feel like the dark abyss? <laughs> All your deeds laid bare. All your sins punished. I can offer you an escape. Don't listen to him. The way he uh, like is able to move his face, and I actually did a little background and research because of me and my girlfriend actually had a small like bickering. Um, the person who designed his like uh, his design. Uh-huh. Um, talked about how amazing he was and then it actually goes to like the director and the director actually was like I never have seen someone who uses their face more than any other actor 
And so they're able to get Davy Jones basically to look alive. And like they use like a suit, like a screen capture suit. Uh-huh. And then they put makeup around his lips and his eyes. But they did that so they wouldn't create an uncanny valley. So when you looked into Davy Jones's eyes, you saw there's a person there. It's not just yeah. this disgusting octopus crab creature. <laughs> He's actually a person underneath. So it's really cool that the designers thought that far into it to include Bill Nye's eyes and make him come to life. See, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I was wondering about that. Like, I because when you when it does the close-ups of his face, I was just thinking, man, this is like the best CGI ever because like there isn't an uncanny valley there. Like it looks really, really good. And I just thought it was. I just assumed it was CGI. I didn't know it was makeup. So that makes a lot more well, sense. At least for the, it's the only face. makeup around. Yeah, it's only makeup around his eyes and his mouth. Yeah, but that's so, that's specifically what I was mm-hmm. like impressed with. Like I was like, "Geez, that yeah, looks yeah. incredible." <laughs> yeah, they actually, I re- the article I read actually talked about that. They're like, we had to get you know close up of his face, so we put makeup around certain parts, mm-hmm. and then you know in post production they edited out his nose and gave him the tentacle face and everything. Right. It's, yeah. It's really cool that. Because of his acting style, it was so great that they were able to pull out this character that, mm-hmm. you know, could have gone horribly wrong. Like, this could have been, like, the worst CGI ever. But because of his acting style and how they were able to pull everything out, it's such an amazing effect that we get. Oh, yeah. You, and I, the, I'll talk about that later more. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say the same thing because, like, the, the, his design is incredible. I had to make a point about it, so we're going to talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> definitely going to talk about it. Then. Yeah, it's incredible, man. They did such a good job with him. Um, I don't. I want to give the other people a chance to be talked about. I'm trying to find the guy who plays mm-hmm. Cutler Beckett. Here he is. Um, oh, I have him right here. Okay. Tom Hollander. Not to be cute, <laughs> yeah. Tom Holland, the actor who's played Spider-Man. This is a different guy. This guy is older and British, so let's not confuse that. But Tom Hollander. Um, this dude is Connor, also in About movies? Time, which is oh, really funny. I didn't realize that. Um, I don't. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not. Okay. Um, I've heard it in sad. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, heard it, the ending it is... ends happy, too. So, I mean, it's, it, it's sad too. and happy, so... <laughs> He's also in Bird Box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a foe in Bird I Box. Know. I know. I didn't realize that Bird was the Box. same guy. Holy yes, crap. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I hate him Jeez, in Bird he's, Box. Yeah, he's I know. Pooh Nugget. I know. <laughs> However, a movie that I do like him in is Bohemian Rhapsody. Interesting. I haven't seen Bohemian he Rhapsody, plays... but he plays Jim Beach. I, would, I had to pull the mic away from my face every time. <laughs> oh, we have to because Connor, Connor, just Connor, Connor. Oh goodness. Okay, sorry guys. We're gonna get totally sidetracked. Uh, oh goodness. What were you gonna say? Anything specific about him in Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, nope. I really like him in Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. He's a really nice fella who's pretty nice to. <laughs> 
Freddie Mercury, but there's nothing else to use that <laughs> because you haven't seen the oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He is in the first movie, right? No. He's not? Nope. Who did I think Probably was in the first movie. movie that looked like him? I don't know. I gotta figure this out. It wasn't him, though. Because he's only, if you look at his um, list, it's he's only in the first, the second, and the third one. Sorry. Yeah. Well, see, there was another um, soldier, or not soldier, he was like on the Royal Navy or something like that, and he was like, he had a couple of speaking lines. I always thought that that was Beckett. I always thought it was the same dude, but I guess not. Is it the guy that um, says that is the most brilliant pirate I've ever seen? Yeah, I think that's the one that I was thinking it. And the guy, he's at the end too, when he's like, idiot, he's going to go straight back to the noose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he he's I think he's actually in one, two, three, and four because I remember him in the fourth one because something happens to him in the fourth one. But that guy you're talking about, I I don't I don't know. That's a different guy. Okay, but yeah, I, I, I just do never realized the confusion. That. Interesting. Yeah, they just kind of they kind of throw Beckett in this film and without yeah really any true explanation. The only um, really like explanation you get is because James Norrington isn't in the role that he was. Um, Lord Beckett is made pretty much, which is kind of weird to me. I don't know. We'll get into that too. But I mean, you don't really get a lot from his performance. Like he's as far as screen time goes, he doesn't have a whole lot. But I guess he's all right with what he does. I just, I can't really, like, judge him fairly, like, with this movie. I don't really feel like I can. You are right. However, even though we don't get a lot from him in this film, with this film, he does get his own little theme that plays. And it's it's subtle, it's a subtle theme. Oh, you wow, really I didn't even notice it, that. Yeah, it's like a, uh, I, we are going to talk about the music. That's, like, number one theme <laughs> we're going to talk about. But... Yep. We'll get there. I'll definitely discuss it in depth. Well, I think that's that's really kind of it for new actors. Like, there's a lot of new actors. Oh, 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 oh there's one more. My bad. Um, we could talk about. Do you want to talk about Tia Dolma? Two more. Dolma? My god. My gosh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tia Dolma. We'll go ahead and do her first. Naomi Harris plays Tia Dolma, and she becomes something else in the next movie. <laughs> Yeah, her. She's, this is this. Yeah, this movie definitely was an intro intro for her mm-hmm. to set up the next film. But she does make kind of an impact. I mean, she. Oh yeah, for sure. Shown mm-hmm. that she has a has a past with Jack Sparrow, which is even more interesting. And I think she's actually in those young Jack Sparrow books. She is. I don't remember I'm, specifically. I'm pretty sure she yeah. is. I'm pretty sure she she like roamed around with him, mm-hmm. but yes, her character does have a little bit of past with Jack, and it's really interesting to watch her interact with the crew when you get her. You only get her for like about a twenty minute scene in the middle, and then at the very very end. But she has a pretty impactful part, like even mm-hmm. more than the guy who plays Cutler Beckett, oh, which is amazing because she's <laughs> yeah. She's in the movie less, and she has much more of an impact. She's more, uh, she's got a bigger presence, too, just on screen. Like, I, I personally, I, I love her in this role. Like, it's so intriguing to me to watch her, and I love, like, her dialect. Um, I'm not even gonna 
try to imitate it because I'm not a female, so I'll probably mess that up. <laughs> but, but it's really good. Like Jack Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. Oh, dang it, you got me to try it, Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> I win this round. <laughs> I'm trying to think. What is, like, she says a lot of really interesting things. I literally laughed out loud when they, uh, she's like, I'd we'll be expecting payment, no? And then he he gives <laughs> look an undead monkey. Yes, <laughs> and yes! she lets it out of the cage. And then uh, Gibbs has the funniest line. He's like, "No, you have no idea how long it took us to get him in that cage." <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh which, so hard. <laughs> which is interesting because how the monkey even get back on the black pearl? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> it's never explained. Because it was in Ila de los Muertos for who knows mm-hmm. how long. And they said that, and they said that was claimed by the sea. So I guess the monkey just kind of swam around for a while, and they just picked it up. Well, spoilers! How the heck did Barbosa get out of there? Ah oh, man, we- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to talk. There's something I want to talk about with that. Okay. However, I would like to save it for the end because it's it's an tr- interesting trivia bit that I've seen everywhere. And I don't know if you know, and I don't know if the audience knows, but I would really like to share it because it it adds so much more weight we'll, to what happens. We'll save it. We'll save it. Definitely, definitely. Um, but anyway, um, let's talk a little bit about her, I guess, Naomi Harris. She's in a lot of stuff. She is in... in <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> 28 Days Later is one of her bigger ones. Um, she's in Skyfall. I haven't seen that in a while, but she plays Eve in Skyfall. She's apparently rumored for Venom Let There Be Carnage as Shriek, which would be really interesting. And I didn't know that that was the case, oh, but that would be interesting to see where that goes. Hey, and something interesting that's coming back up, which I totally forgot. She is also in Miami Vice. She plays Jamie Foxx's wife. Oh, that's really that funny. Wow. So it's really interesting. Huh. So she was in two movies that came out that month. And then she was also in a film called, I don't know if anyone's seen this. I like this movie. Not a lot of people do. Um, she was also in Collateral Beauty. She mm-hmm. plays Will, Will Smith's Smith. wife in that. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie personally. I, honestly, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was not received that great. However, I personally, I like the film. I like Will Smith, so I would definitely give it a shot. mm -hmm. She was also in uh, Dwayne Johnson's Rampage. She is a scientist with Dwayne Johnson in that film. It's a pretty good movie. It's kind of just kind of like a popcorn flick. So Mm, if you're looking for that, there you go. Yeah, that was a pretty recent movie. Yeah, she's good, though. She's really good in this role, like I said. Like, I really like her as Tia Dalma. Absolutely, absolutely. And then I think the last actor we need to talk about is uh, mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård, who plays Bootstrap Bill. Yes. He, as far as the ones we haven't talked about, he's got a lot of um, screen time in this movie. I'll be honest; one of the only things I know him from, other than this role, is um, uh, what's his name? Frick, he's in the MC in Thor? the MCU. What's his name in the MCU? I don't know. I just know he's in. Oh my gosh, that's, that's gonna drive me crazy if I can't remember his name. Eric Selvig. My gosh, 
There it is. Yeah. yeah. He plays Eric Selvig, the weird professor in Thor, and he's in one of the Avengers movies. And, um, yeah, that's the only other thing I really know him from, as far as the ones that I'm looking at right now. I don't know if you know him from anything else. But he's, um, he's, It's dad, right? Forgot his name, too. The guy who plays It. Oh, um, Bill Skarsgård? Bill Skarsgård. I I think they are. I, at least... I, I'm looking at children, I'm clicking on the name, yes, that is his son. Okay, that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah, Bill Skarsgård's his, his son. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think that Bill Skarsgård has a brother who played Tarzan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right about that. Um. Well, yeah, what'd you think about Bootstrap Bill? Oh, he's in Goodwill Hunting, too. I didn't see that. He's also in The Hunt for Red October. Ah. Ah. Hmm. Are you doing a Shatner impression? <laughs> no, this is not a Shatner impression. This is a... I forgot his name. Oh, crap. What is his name? Show me his name. <laughs> Sean Connor. It's Sean Connor. Oh, Sean Connor. I got you. Sean Connor. <laughs> this is how it sounds. Andy, we named him after the dog. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, guys. My Sean Connery. Dude, we gotta do the Indiana movie. Jones movies at some point, too. They're so good. Um, They're all on Netflix. Um, Connor, that might be the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be there opposed. There you go, guys. <laughs> I don't think anyone would be. Um, uh, Yeah, but what, what do you think about Bootstrap Bill? I really... um, Actually, he was a really interesting character. Like, to be honest, like, if you go into this, like, never seen the Pirates films, he gets mentioned in the first one. So you're like, oh, who's Bootstrap Bill? Well, Turner's dad, obviously, but that's all you know, besides he was Jack's first mate. Mm-hmm. And then he shows up in this film, and you learned he took Davy Jones's offer to live a hundred more years in servitude, which is really interesting. It, like, further tells you that, oh, this guy's definitely a scallywag pirate. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he's like... And it's really interesting that he's the one who basically tells Jack Sparrow, hey, your debt needs to be paid. I hope you're ready. Mm-hmm. And I it's I really liked how liked how he played him. You know, he's definitely like menacing, but at the same time, he has to be a father to Will. Yeah. And so you see him be a father. I really like that dynamic. Like he, he does really well with that, I think. Um, because like he's one of the crewmates of the Flying Dutchman, so as a result, he looks like the crewmates of the Flying Dutchman, which are like these weird fish creatures. Like he's got like a um, um, like a starfish right on top of his face. So just mm-hmm. by that, like you kind of think, oh, this is a weird dude. Like I don't know if I should like him, root for him, or what. But at the same time, like he's trying to save his son. So it, that's a really cool dynamic. I, I appreciated that they did that. And I do have an interesting tidbit about the makeup that they put on him. Mm-hmm. You know, all the starfish and all the seaweed. So that, they originally wanted to do him completely CGI. Oh, wow. However, be, again, because Stellan Skarsgård is a pretty um, awesome actor... They didn't want to hide that. So that's why you got the um, product you got where, Mm -hmm. you know, he has he's he's being taken by the crew. Like you can see, like he's slowly becoming more and more 
with the starfish on his face. He's eating hermit crabs and Jack Sparrow's <laughs> licking his lips, wondering if that tastes good. <laughs> but yeah, so it's <laughs> interesting oh, okay. little tidbit that originally he was going to be CGI'd, but then mm-hmm. they're like, you know what? Let's make you makeup. I'm really glad that they didn't do it him entirely CGI. Like I, because I think mm-hmm. if correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the crewmates are entirely CGI, right? Like the hammerhead dude. Yes. Yeah. And especially him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, I need to that dude. <laughs> He's my favorite <laughs> one, dude. I love him. Yes. I love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I need to. No, that's a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so good dude oh man i love that dude so uh i'm ready to get into the points if you are i know we've talked quite a bit about cast already so definitely um, ready to get in points i will definitely let you go first since i went first last time with points but i do have i think the same um, uh one two three four five i have six points so i do have a lot actually (laughs) i i only have four but i Again, I think there's going to be overlap. So mm-hmm. I think because you've you've already said Davy Jones, and I have a Davy Jones, so I'm sure you know we'll mm-hmm. definitely get into that. But um, I'm just going to go ahead and talk about this immediately because I already hinted at it earlier. Um, the music for this film is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Builds upon yes. what he did from the first one, and Connor, you said you yep. didn't hear lord beckett's little theme and it's very subtle you have to like can listen it goes dun, 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 dun. it's like it's like i don't know what instrument it is but it's almost like it's, oh i yeah okay i think it, i know what you're talking about mm-hmm. it's very subtle but it's there and it like it makes lord beckett even more intriguing because we we have no clue who he is or why he's here but it, this music, like, it intrigues you. Like, the ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. I don't know what it is, the instrument is, but I would love to learn how to play it just to do that. Mm-hmm. Lord Beckett, the prisoner has ordered... See, I, I can't remember the instrument either. I... I almost have a picture of it in my head, but it's mm-hmm. it's some sort of stringed instrument. Yeah, yeah But yeah. if you've ever seen, uh, I know you've seen it, but for the audience, if you've ever seen um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, the same instrument is used for Peter Pettigrew's theme. It's the ding, 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 ding. Like, it's the same instrument. And it's uh, it's when, like, Harry's uh, under the invisibility cloak looking at the map and he sees the footsteps in the hall. Or I guess he's not under the cloak then, but he sees the footsteps and that's Peter Pettigrew's. That becomes his theme for that movie. So I know exactly what you're talking about for Lord Beckett now. Like that's the same instrument. It's and it gives you the same sense of like intrigue. Like oh, what's this dude up to? That's pretty cool. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's like it. I know we talked about how like you know the actor and the character you know doesn't 
super do a ton we barely get any of him in this film Mm -hmm. of course building up for the next one where we do get a lot of him but like that music adds a layer to his character to where you can almost forgive not having him a ton in the movie because there is like oh we're being intrigued we need to be patient and see what's going to happen yeah and and also, like, you got to think, this is really, like, part one of a two-part installment. I think, like, it definitely has its own unique story, which is good. Like, they weren't, they didn't label it or market it as part one and part two, which I'm glad they didn't. The other one I think of is Infinity War and Endgame, and that also worked extremely well. So I appreciate that they didn't end it that way, but it's got, it's kind of similar in that way, like... Lord Beckett is introduced in this movie and um, he doesn't get a lot, but it gets paid off in the second movie or in the third movie. But, you know, the the sequel to this one. So that's that's another reason why I don't fault it for not really diving too deep into his character, because they're kind of planting seeds that come true later Mm -hmm. to fruition. So, but yeah, we're talking about music, not Lord Beckett. So, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> just a part of it, you know. I mean, like, yes, yeah. Another, like, there's so many amazing pieces of music that I'm, we're gonna have to talk about all of them. But the next one I definitely want to talk about is the um, the end of the second Kraken attack, where the Kraken attacks the first ship, but it's technically the second mm-hmm. attack, and like, it's the, the first time it's shown. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. like. The Kraken's dropping the crew about. members, and you just hear, and it's like yep. super dramatic. I I absolutely love it. Like you cannot like. Oh my goodness, it's just amazing. I don't know what else it's to incredible, say. <laughs> dude. I I specifically wrote that down. And another thing that I thought about when it was playing that is that. Really, the organ is like the perfect instrument for the Kraken's theme because for some reason, I just thought of like the organ pipes are almost like visually similar to the the suction cups on the tentacles of the Kraken. And so it just made me think of that like as being kind of a, a similarity. I don't know if that was intentional, but it'd be really cool if it was and it made sense to be. I definitely, I I feel like someone thought of that, but it just wasn't like outspoken. So I I, I agree with you. I do definitely hope that is true. And then um, another piece of music that I really have to talk about is we get, I feel like it was in the last one. However, it wasn't as prevalent. Um, I called it the rum song. Yes. And me and Connor have a personal story with that. (laughs) I talked about it briefly (laughs) last podcast, but I'm going to build upon it (laughs) because (laughs) for a while, me and my Connor and Connor in our young age, we were like, this is what we're going to do because why not? It's stupid and fun. We would literally pat ourselves on the head and we would have a <laughs> rum walk and we would hum or sing the rum song. The, we just pat ourselves on the head and then done, done. And we'd literally walk around like we were intoxicated. Of course, we were children, had no true indication of how that really was, but we were just being goofy kids and it was 
it's a childhood memory that we will hold. Oh yes. True. Every time you hear that song in the film, I guarantee you we both think about being goofy kids and patting ourselves in the head and walking around like ah, oh, such mm. good memories. <laughs> I love it, dude. I love mm-hmm. that theme. Absolutely and, love it. <laughs> um one other theme, it's kind of similar to that one, but it comes it comes through a couple times. It's 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 like it's almost like kind of whimsical too, and it's like um, dun 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 dun. It's like it's kind of got that like what's going on kind of like I don't I like kind of mischievous almost. <laughs> so I, that was another one that's kind of similar, and then um, moving away from more like whimsical themes. The other one that I know you're you're wanting to talk about is the music box theme mm-hmm. from Davy Jones's Music Box, and this is kind of like I don't know if you would call this Davy Jones's theme, uh, I think or it, maybe it, like go for it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you look at the um, list, I think it is listed as like Davy Jones or the um, heart shaped okay. box theme because yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it is because he plays it as well on his organ because like because you're like yeah less whimsical but like there's like the little music box playing it where it's you know soft Mm -hmm. and almost you know it's like loving but then when he plays it like he like it's like there's a darkness to it yeah they, they add a lot more like minor chords and stuff when he's playing it on the organ and i think like you get more of that in the next movie with like there's there's definitely a lot more to that but that's kind of like i feel like the music box kind of represents his love whereas it's you know it's a little bit more sad and then his is a little bit more dark mm-hmm. um as opposed to like the one he loves and we're mm-hmm. gonna get more into that next movie so i don't want to i just kind of want to put it at that right now but oh yeah and um, it- i i really like that theme though mm-hmm. and it like represents you know like the chaotic nature of the crew and the sea because of what he's doing with his role because you know he's supposed to be like doing something but he's not doing mm-hmm. it so he's essentially creating chaos by not doing it of course we learn mm, yeah. what it is in the next film so that's why i'm kind of not saying it but you know it's it's yeah, very interesting yeah. it's it's so cool to also hear it whenever you see the crew because it even gets even darker and it gets louder and it's, it's absolutely amazing and i hope all of you love our humming of these songs because it's it's gonna happen you can't again. help it with these movies <laughs> i know <it's> Liter- like- <laughs> i've literally since i watched the first one i've been humming the like i've done it non-stop i can't stop freddie i need help <laughs> that's just like that's Hans Zimmer for you like he he puts it in your head and the only way you're gonna get it out is if you watch the movie again but it's almost like taking a drug it's like once you do it like you just can't get enough of it it's crazy like how amazing he is uh, yeah. taking music and implanting it inside your brain and that's it you have it forever and I'm the same like when I'm at work you know I'll often hum any one of the theme songs because that's our theme right now the pirates film so i just 
those mm-hmm. are all on my brain right now, but I am going to complete yeah. a great answer with you. Well, and it's the most impressive thing about the score to me is that he somehow took the greatness, like the most amazing score from the first movie, built upon it and made it better. Like, I, because I personally like the score in this movie better than the first one, even mm-hmm. though I love the score in the first movie. I just like it's there's more to love here. So I think I put this one on a higher pedestal as far as the music goes, just because it's like it's it's building upon what you already know, but it's adding so much more to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's gotcha. it's just so good. Well done, Hans Zimmer. Well done. <laughs> well done again. It's amazing that he took the first movie and enhanced it that much more in the second one. It's like how (laughs) yeah (laughs) just exactly literally he did what john williams did with the star wars films like the first music from star wars a new hope amazing music in empire Mm -hmm. strikes back even more amazing he did he literally looked at john williams and said i'm gonna do what you did and he perfectly did it (laughs) like it's oh my goodness i i just love how this composer just i'm sure he loves these movies and that's why the music just got better in this one because he saw this movie and yeah. he was like, I'm going to make this movie have so much more emotion. And he successfully does that. Yeah, yeah I agree for sure. If you're done with that one, yes, I sir. will yes, sir. move on. And this is also a shared point. Um, it is about the costume design, specifically about mm. Davy Jones. But in general, the costume design and the overall aesthetic of this film is so good, dude. It's a step up even from the last movie, especially with Davy Jones's crew. Anything to do with Davy Jones, really. Like, even the... Um, I caught this when I was watching it. When the Flying Dutchman comes up right next to the Black Pearl at the end of the movie, if you look at the sails, they're, like, veiny. Like, they look like sheets of skin with veins behind them. Which was definitely got to be intentional. And then, mm-hmm. like, the next shot you see of it, you see it's it's closer up and you can see that it's just seaweed. So the way that they put that all together is just genius in my in my imagination. And um, I just, I love what they did with both the Flying Dutchman and the crew. Um, how they're all, like, these fish people. And Davy Jones is the cream of the crop. Like, he looks fantastic. I know we've already talked a little bit about, like, the genius decisions they made with the CGI on his face and everything, but just the overall aesthetic and like even his, um, his peg leg, how he moves around and like you you can tell when he's coming basically, um, just because of his, his clanking on the, the wood. It's so good, man. It's okay. so good. It's, it's so much more than a clanking though. It's like, it stops the music when you hear his boom. Yeah. Because his crab leg is just—he's just that heavy on it that everyone stops mm-hmm. and they know. Yeah, Ooh, I, here comes the boogeyman. I forgot that that was a crab leg. You mm-hmm. know, I literally forgot that, and that's so funny because I had his action figure, and I know you know which one I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yep, that's so funny because I definitely remember looking up his cloak to see what he had. Oh man, I don't know if I should have admitted that on on air, but I did. (laughs) 
What you got under there, Davy Jones? <laughs> I mean, the dude's got a crab arm. You gotta wonder, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> You're right. He does have a crab arm. I had to know if it was crab or oct- octopus, you know? Octopi <laughs> or crab. Well, technically, on an octopus, one of its tentacles is used as the winky. <laughs> his well that's his hand too like one of them's a crab hand and the other one's like this nasty mm-hmm. tentacle thing and that's what he shakes your hand with so don't yeah. make a deal with him unless you want to get some some slimy <laughs> oh, the black spot <laughs> the black spot <laughs> ah yes the black spot but yeah go ahead and say what you want to about the costume design because I know you want to talk about it too well like you you talked about you know, the flying dutchman and how the sails of that ship are, you know, seaweed. You know, I actually, you mm-hmm. know, look, you look at the sails of the Black Pearl, and you remember from the last mm-hmm. movie, you know, they're all, they're solid black. Yeah. And it's like in this movie, they're just damaged, and they have patches of gray on them. And it's, I mean, it's dark gray, so it kind of blends in with the black. But it's like, that alone, like, it's just a small detail, like, lets you know. Jack mm-hmm. did not take care of the Black Pearl like he really should have, especially because, you know, it's his ship that he loves. He doesn't take amazing care of it when he does well, that. Well, also, like, in the first movie, yeah, they were all jet black, but there were tons of holes in them, too, mm-hmm. like, every scene that it's in. And so I kind of saw that as them, like, you know, they took the time to repair it, yeah, so I kind of went the right. other direction. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But, like, I mean, you also know Jack took his freaking ship through a hurricane at one point for some reason apparently yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh to get to get um james norrington off his butt but uh, james norrington didn't end that too well but yeah that's another thing that i noticed about like just that ship design in general but Mm -hmm. like even like um davy jones crew like uh like they're all CGI, so, like, there's a bit of Uncanny Valley. But I have to be honest, like, this is actually one of my points about the CGI. Like, it looks freaking amazing for, you know, 2006. Like, those guys oh, yeah. look like they are real and could be crawling around on Earth. <laughs> Especially um, yeah. the Hammerhead guy. Like, he's one of my favorite designs. Because it's like, uh, he yeah. has a he has mm-hmm. a Hammerhead. And, like, he has a human face with, like, the hammerhead um, uh, eyeballs protruding out. And it's funny because he's missing an eye, but he has the shark but it, eye. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got the shark eye. That's, yeah. It's so awesome. And then, like, one of my favorite scenes where they use that is, like, where, like, you see, like, the water and he's, like, swimming up. And he looks like a hammerhead shark. And then he stands up and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, that's not a hammerhead shark. That's that's a guy. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. And then even like we were talking about earlier, the guy who has the the hermit crab for a head, like <laughs> I love it. His design is brilliant. Like he gets his head yeah. knocked off and he's still walking around. And then he has one of like <laughs> one of the funny scenes. No, that's a tree. <laughs> oh, okay. Follow my voice. <laughs> <laughs> He's the equivalent uh, of the no fair guy. In this. He is. He's literally the guy that I remember <laughs> as a kid. Like that was my favorite scene when I was a kid. <laughs> and like I, I don't have this set anymore. But there was a Lego set 
of like the little wheel that um Jack Sparrow oh, yeah. and all them on. And that set I remember you came that. with that guy. And like you could twist <laughs> his head around and see like the back of his nasty head like you do in the movie. <laughs> and so like That's he, awesome. he's such a memorable character. Like like I remember him as a Lego and then I'm sure I don't know if there's an action figure. If there was an action figure, I'm sure it was absolutely disgusting and amazing at the same time. <laughs> See, I remember me and you like were trying to get all of his action figures because they weren't they were like smaller than the average action figure. Mm-hmm. Like they were like almost like like Jack Sparrow would come up to the waist of like my Spider-Man action figure, mm-hmm. I think. And so like which was, they had a bunch of different cool action figure sets you could get. One of the ones I specifically remember, I, I can't remember if it came with Davy Jones or not. I think it did. But it had, like, it came with Davy Jones, like, a barrel and two little dice so that you could, like, it was like the freaking uh, wager game that they played mm-hmm. in the movie. And I distinctly remember having that set. And I had those two tiny, tiny, tiny little dice for so long until I lost them. Which is not surprising that I lost See, them because they were really tiny. <laughs> at the time of this movie's being made, I had like there was like a, a game where you could build the pirate ships and there were miniatures, so like they were a little smaller and they were paper, so they weren't like amazing quality. But they also came okay. with those tiny dice you could play with. And I yeah. remember, I remember <laughs> having a pair of like those tiny dice. I have no clue where they are now. I think I have one somewhere amongst all the collection I have now, but I'm sure I'm never gonna find it. Yeah, if I ever look, I think it. I do have one still. Actually, I think it's right behind me. Actually, but I'm not gonna look. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there you go, guys. Like, I mean, see how this movie's getting us talking just about merchandise. Like, you know that that's a part of like their design. You know. They think about mm-hmm. what they can sell as well. And, you know, a lot of the things that were in the film, especially Davy Jones's crew, like a lot of Davy Jones crew is really interesting. There's a guy with two heads and he's like eating a piece of himself in the background. There's a little <laughs> there's a little shrimp guy who he's weaseling around. who looks absolutely filthy, but actually cool <laughs> at the same time. There's and like there's, a crab head dude, too, right? I, like the yeah. one who does the whipping. Mm hmm. Yep, that guy too. And then there's then there's a guy who's completely made out of coral, who is oh yeah, uh-huh, you're right. He's freaking cool. And then it's just it's really cool how they designed all of those crewmates. And it's like they knew they wanted to make an impact with Davy Jones's crew, and they absolutely did. And I absolutely love how they did it. And you know the CGI for 2006 it still holds up today. Like you know I have a mm-hmm. bigger TV. And, like, it, it still looked pretty good. I mean, there were probably, like, some moments where, like, you can tell, oh, it's aged here. But other than that, it's even pretty good. And even, like, at the one part where the guy is, like, in the ship. He's a part of the ship. He, like, comes out. And you can see his, like, brain. Oh, that dude was one of my favorites. I love yeah, him. He's crazy I don't know why looking. I liked him so much, but I love because he's, like, been on the ship for longer than anyone. And he's, like, mm-hmm. become a part of the ship at that point. I loved how they did that. That was such a cool, like, moment for me. I don't know why I liked it so much. but Absolutely. Yeah, that was awesome. The most disgusting dude to me is the one, and I'm looking at a picture of him because I had to figure out which one he was. But he's basically, like, his face is, like, puffy. 
because of all the barnacles that are growing on his face. Mm -hmm. And he's got like jacked up teeth and like a really round nose. I I don't even know if I'm describing him well enough, but like he's wearing a pirate (laughs) hat too with barnacles. Like he he looks filthy. Let me tell you, like, honestly, let me just send you a picture of him really quick. Even filthier than the shrimp guy, my friend. <laughs> he, he's the, he, this is the guy that creeped me out as a kid. I think because he kind of looks like the exorcist. Oh, okay. Because I, if you don't know audience, I hate the freaking exorcist. I have some <laughs> bad, bad memories. Bad mumbo jumbo. <laughs> I was Kills constantly brought up at our sleepovers, especially amongst mm. you and Keon. Mm. <laughs> he would always go right before you fell asleep. Oh. Hey, Connor, what? Exorcist. Mm. <laughs> mm, your foe. It's a common noise at our sleepovers. <laughs> yep. Every freaking time when all the lights were off. Mm, all right, l- I'm about to send you this, Freddy. Okay, and I'm prepared. You, I need you to um, either agree or disagree with me if you think he is as filthy as I think he as I think he is, Mister Exorcist himself. Oh yeah, this mother trucker. Ugh, he is. Yeah, indeed. he's so gross looking, man. He's a filthy one. Oh goodness, look Ugh, at his face. I hate him. I don't even, even know what he's supposed anymore. to be. Oh, it's just a a dying dude at this point. <laughs> and he's got like a uh, clam hair. Like mm-hmm. you see that it's like it's like muscles or clams or something like that. I know they're like stretched and out it's, for it's, some reason. It's like it looks like seaweed, but like with all that stuff growing in it. Regardless to say, guys, the the costume design is, or the the design in general is so good in this movie that like. We are talking about it today, and like we remember all like these moments when we were children from it. So it definitely made an impact. Absolutely, dude. So, um, this is gonna be one of my negative points. I don't think I had any on the last one, but I do on this one. So, my point is, I feel like there's like way too many plot threads in this movie because. I, I tried to make... This is one of the reasons I was typing for so long. I tried to list all of the different, like, main character motivations that were going on in this film, and I counted up six. So I'm going to read those out to you, and I'll see if, if you agree or if you think there should be more. But basically, you've got... Number one is um, Beckett who wants the compass for whatever reason. I honestly don't even know why he wanted the compass. Was he, I guess he was just wanting to be able to navigate to wherever he wants. Cause presumably he knows what the compass does, mm-hmm. but I don't know why he wanted the compass. Anyway, he wants that Davy Jones wants to settle his debt with Jack. And then when the key is taken, he then changes to once. And then he wants to save his heart, which is understandable. Norrington comes in he wants his old life back so he wants the heart as leverage um will turner wants at first wants to get elizabeth pardoned and then he makes like a complete 180 because he kind of abandons like wanting like he still wants to save elizabeth i presume but the first half of the movie he really wants to do that and then the second half of the movie after he's met his dad all he wants to do is um kill or stab the heart of Davy Jones so that he can set his dad free. So he kind of changes. 
I noticed that. Um, Elizabeth at first wants to marry Will, but then there's some conflict with her because she also, I guess, wants to see what a pirate life is like. Um, that I, I want to get into that more in more detail in more detail later because I'm really kind of confused as to what her motivations were, but it's it's something to do with that, like because the compass doesn't really know what she wants either. And then Jack, old witty Jack. I honestly don't know why he wants the key at the beginning because he doesn't feel that um, Davy Jones isn't a threat to him until after Bootstrap Bill comes, and he's already gotten the map to the key at that point. So I'm not really sure what he was going for at first, but ultimately he wants to settle his debt with Jones, and by doing so, he needs to get leverage, which is the heart, basically. So he's he's trying to get the heart for leverage on Davy Jones so that he can settle his debt. But there's also something weird with Jack because throughout the movie, his compass does not work for him. So there's something else he wants, and you don't figure out what that is in this movie. I can't remember specifically if it's if it's uh, brought up in the next movie, so that remains to be seen. But personally, that's a lot. That's six character motivations that also change, <laughs> and change. I think it's too much. <laughs> almost creates like 12 right <laughs> because of like yeah because they, they all, all start out with a they all start out with one and then bam they they go to a different one or un, uh, they change multiple times yeah you're right that's a, a total if you want to be like kind of like woo 12 there but technically it's just six characters mm-hmm. with two different motivations that play out through the film but i you are right that is one thing about this movie that it definitely can pull you out like you have all these characters and they all seem to want something at one point but then it changes at another point so yeah and it to me it, it seems like especially with beckett beckett's like the oddest change because we don't really get to see it it just kind of happens like he wants the compass but then like he also wants davy jones heart which you don't even know until um james brings it to him and then he's like oh i wanted this all along it's like what <laughs> no you didn't well that's the thing like i don't i don't know if he really did want the like if he even knew about the heart or if he was just like oh you've got a heart for me that can control davy jones that's sweet i don't want the compass anymore like i don't know if that was the change or what but they don't really explain why he wants the compass in the first place so that was kind of confusing for me well, but yeah, pers- and- personally, like, I feel like Beckett is the one you have to take out if you're going to take out one of these. Be- either Beckett or Elizabeth, because those are the two that really don't work for me. Or maybe Norrington, because Norrington doesn't really add too much to the plot overall. But I like his scene at the end when he's in the sword fight with Will. Like, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So I really would like to keep that, if at all possible, you know, if we're mm-hmm. making the Connor and Freddy change. Yeah. But- I don't know. Cinema Seekers review. <laughs> but yeah, I it's 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 kind of upsetting because I feel like this is what really makes the movie go on for longer than it should. Like this really adds to the runtime, especially the stuff with Beckett, because I feel like you probably shave off a good 15 minutes by not including Beckett in this film. And I feel like it would still play pretty well. Like I know that he is the one who sets Will and Elizabeth in motion. But everyone else is already doing their own thing, so I feel like you could probably get them involved in a different way, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. 
And I know that he gets paid off in the next film, but for this film, it really kind of sucks that he's in here and you don't get any payoff here. Yeah, at least until next one. And then, like, it's it's really interesting because they throw in a little something extra with him that he is the one who left the P on Jack Sparrow is what we're told. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's like another thread that. that doesn't ever come to fruition. And that they have a they have an encounter in the second in the next movie though, right? Yeah, they 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 have a whole discussion in the next movie. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. but okay. like you don't learn why he has the P at all, really. Oh, you just, you just <laughs> that kind of sucks. You know, you just like it's just said in this film and never mentioned again. And like this movie does that. Uh, I I kind of noticed it has those two like it has another small thread, which is changed in the fifth film. Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you caught it but since we're i know we're talking about like all the plot points but i know i'm going minor plot points but they're those are the ones that for me bothered me a lot which is the beckett um get he gave jack the p but we never learn how that came about and then tia dorma says at this point that she gave jack sparrow the compass Connor, oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. whole fifth movie is about how Jack gets the compass from somewhere else. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, so I haven't seen it yet, so I can't, I can't really I, talk to that. But that sounds I awful. Know, but I just want to let you know, like, whenever we watch the fifth one, I want you to go into that one knowing that T. Dorma said she gave Jack this mm-hmm. compass that will lead him to anything he wants yeah i distinctly remember that because they use that as exposition to explain how the compass works mm-hmm. but it's it's ultimately changed unfortunately but mm. it is the compass is also another interesting thing because it's like jack doesn't know what he wants however at one point he is able to convince elizabeth swan that she wants something and evidently she is able to get him to where he wants which is crazy it's like he doesn't know what he wants but he can get someone else to think what they want even though it's technically what jack wants (laughs) right i i know isn't that weird (laughs) Uh uh-huh so i mean it's kind of weird i thought that that was interesting that he was able to like persuade her to like because that makes sense, right? Like, you could... You've... I feel like everyone has probably been convinced that they want something, whether it be from, like, marketing or, like, a family member or something, and then they actually really want it after the fact, whether it be, like, reverse psychology or whatever. So, like, in that sense, like, how the compass works, that makes sense to me. But what I don't understand is why, like, Jack doesn't know what he wants, and so he can't get where he wants. It's like, what else does he want anyway? Like, it's never, they never go into that. Because that's an interesting thing, but they just don't ever explain what the other thing is he wants, you know? Yeah, see, and then, like, another interesting thing that's said in this film is Jack is made a captain by Davy Jones. Davy Jones is, the, that's the deal that's made. And mm-hmm. then, um... Uh, whenever him and Bootstrap Bill are talking, um, Bootstrap is like, "Oh, then you'll be the captain of the Dutchman," 
And then Jack is like, well, the Dutchman already has a captain. And he's like, then a hundred years, it'll be aboard. So I feel like the deal was that Jack Sparrow was going to be the captain of the Dutchman after the 13 years were up. But because Davy Jones was still kicking, that was no longer like applicable to the situation anymore. So that was like, it's like a little interesting thing that is never really like built upon. All you ever get is that, oh, Jack owes Davy Jones a debt. And that's it. Yeah, that is very weird. Like they, they definitely don't explain that as well as they should. And honestly, I think it just, goes back to the fact that there's too many plot points so they didn't really have time to explain it because and this is another thing that I noticed like last movie we talked about this it it is an ensemble piece but I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that Will Turner is your main protagonist if you have to have one mm-hmm. and and I think that's true like you you pointed that out to me and it really made sense and I think even in, in ensemble pieces, you really need, like, one character to be able to latch onto. You don't really have that with this film, if I'm being honest. Like, there's not one singular character that... I, I tried to figure out who it would be, and I could not. Like, I don't think it's Will, because he flip-flops. I don't think it's Elizabeth, because she doesn't know what the heck she wants. Jack even doesn't know what the heck he wants. So, it really kind of gets really muddled in that way because you don't really know who to like really latch on to so that was kind of an issue for me and see that's that's the problem because jack sparrow was such a big character and attracted a lot of attention they were like oh we have to make the story about jack it has to be about jack right because people like jack and it unfortunately muddles muddles it for us because it's like technically we should have just had will as a central character who we follow his story and like we still get like his stuff in it but it's like in between all these other characters so it's almost like just this giant sandwich that you don't know what the main piece of meat is yeah is it like and like the film starts with um elizabeth and will and you're like, oh, so this is going to be about them. But by the end of the film, it's like, uh, who was it about? You know, was it about Jack settling a debt? Was it about Will uh, doing stuff with his father and Elizabeth? Was it about Elizabeth trying to find her way? It's like, oh, oh my goodness. Where are yeah, we? And that, <laughs> that's a really good point, actually, that the op- literally the opening shot of the movie is Elizabeth's rained out wedding. And so, yeah, you really think like, this is gonna pay off in some way but it doesn't i mean it does in the next film but you know it's it it doesn't really do anything in this one and the other thing i want to say is if you're because you said that that you know they wanted to use jack because he's such a popular character that's fine just give him something more interesting like it seemed like they were doing that at the beginning when they were like, oh, what does Jack really want? But you don't get more than that. You don't know what he wants, really. So that's that's as far as they go with it. So they like it, I feel like if they would have found an interesting avenue to go with that perspective, like, you know, Jack doesn't know what he wants. They could have done some interesting things with that, but they really kind of didn't. And so it really just muddles the plot. 
Yeah, and it's just, you know, it, it was it's one of those things where... Because you're probably right. They probably could have tried to do something with Jack as um, a main character. However, a lot of people wanted him to just be the side Sly Fox character that comes in coincidentally, yeah. not, not on his own regard. And it kind of feels like this one, everything happens almost because he ends up getting in trouble, you know. People get killed <laughs> because of him. You know, there's a yeah. kraken looking for him that's just killing anything with his scent on it or anything like that. But yeah, it 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 just gets muddled because everyone wants something in this film, even though we don't you know didn't... what Jack wants. He there's something, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just had another interesting thought though. Could you make a case? that Davy Jones is the protagonist of this film because he's really kind of the one who's getting attacked with his heart getting taken, you know? And so, like, he kind of has a mission to settle his debts and everything, and then he's the one who comes under attack, and he has to go and basically solve that. And that's kind of interesting. I know I this came up last podcast, and I kind of misspoke, so I want to address it here. But in in uh, Infinity War, I mentioned last podcast that Thor is your main protagonist there, and he kind of is. But really, you can make a better case for Thanos being the mm-hmm. main protagonist yep. of that film. <laughs> so I definitely did misspeak, misspeak with that. So if you could make a case for Davy Jones being the main character in here, that would be a really interesting similarity to Infinity War and Endgame with both of these films. Also, mm-hmm. both being produced by Disney, ultimately. That's really crazy. I don't know if that's a thing, but I think we might be on to something. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. like With Infinity War, you have a much better case because who does the movie start with? Thanos. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. This film, you, you know, you you hear you Davy Jones' Davy names Jones. fifteen mm-hmm. minutes in, but you don't see him. You don't see him until I think it's almost like an hour in at some point. It might yeah, not be. You're that right. Long, it is pretty but, far in. But you are right. Maybe Davy Jones is, in t- fact, the protagonist, and we all just want the antagonist to win because that's what we've been trained to think. But also at the same time, <laughs> Davy Jones isn't like an amazing person. His goal isn't the best. He kind of just wants people to serve not, him. Yeah, it's not well defined. That's that's for sure. But ultimately, like he, there's like a, a another side to him too that you don't really get too much of here, but you get more of in the next one with like his love life. So, yeah. I, I do like that they put that layer in him, though. It makes him more, a much more interesting villain, in my opinion. So, But yeah, I, that's that's all I really had to say about that. Like, there's a lot of plot threads in this movie, so and it, and it really kind of weighed down on the movie runtime. Yeah, you're right. And definitely. It's definitely a convoluted plot. However, I still find it super enjoyable. I don't know how. It's one of those movies that I guess maybe I just have this childhood like screen over my eyes whenever I watch it, but I, I mm-hmm. still absolutely love this movie. I'll let you go to the next one. All right. My final like 
main point I have is that this film has two chase run slash fight scenes. Like you first get the chase run fight scene whenever they're on the island with the cannibals. And then it literally happens at the end of the movie when it's James versus um, Will versus Jack for the key. Mm -hmm. It's so like, uh, I think the first one, it's, it's almost purely like comedic. It doesn't like hold any real value, but the last Mm. one is the one where it's like, there's weight to that. Like, if one gets something, then it could be bad for the other two. Or if two get something, it's bad for the one. It's like that one holds so much more weight. It almost makes like the first one seem almost completely pointless. Like we only had it just to simply have like some funny scenes with Jack Sparrow. Because, I mean, there are yeah. a lot of funny scenes whenever that happens. But I do got to say, you know, while... One is almost kind of pointless, and then one holds a lot of weight. I do have to say they are amazingly shot and choreographed. I will say, oh like, yes, especially the um, the Cannibal Island. The one of the best shots that you see everywhere is Jack Sparrow running from the cannibals and screaming. <laughs> it's like like that shot is like a picture perfect moment, like. You can't, mm-hmm. if you think Parts of the Caribbean, that's one of the pictures you probably picture. Jack Sparrow just running from all these cannibals. <laughs> you know, it also produces like one of the funniest lines from Will Turner, where he's like, I'm not leaving without Jack. And then uh, Jack Sparrow runs out and then he sees that there's a line of cannibals behind him. Time to go. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Absolutely the best. So like Yeah, I love it. It's, but like as we can see, like that scene pretty much created a bunch of like funny, memorable moments. Whereas the last chase fight scene slash running scene created like it was just there was weight to that. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like they they were repetitive, however, they did it in a way where the last one you felt like it mattered because you know will wants something from the key and the heart and james wants something from the key and the heart and even jack he's he wants something he he wants to almost not stab the heart so yeah. it is it's a very interesting thing to say the least that how they did all these i mean there's only like two but they're significantly long like especially the one at the cannibal that one to me feels a little longer because um you have the jack part and then you have the crew and like the crew like you're just trying to like get through that part and the jack part is just pure comedic moments while in the last fight you have jack versus um will versus james and then you have elizabeth and the two pirates who at first they're antagonists to each other, but then they realize that we got to work together to kill Davy Jones's crew. So you have yeah. a lot more weight to that. I, I keep repeating myself, but I just want to kind of drive that home that the second fight chase run scene is a whole lot better than the first one. Yeah. I, this is one of my points too. Like the action and 
once again, it's incredible uh, from the last movie. And specifically, the one you're talking about, the second one, when they're on the big wheel, and it's like a really long, drawn-out sword fight. This is, I think, my favorite sword fight in the entire franchise. Again, I haven't seen the last movie, so I don't know, but from what I can remember of the third and fourth and what, what we've just seen in the first one and this one, this is my favorite scene in the movie, uh, in this movie and of both movies, because it's just so interesting. Like, the way, like, the course that it takes, like, they come to this weird, like, rundown church with a, a bell, and then they get on the... Um, the mill wheel and it starts rolling and then Jack gets put in it. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Like the way that they take it and how everything else is going on behind it. Like the two pirates. <laughs> I love that, that part too, where they're like, they're like, you know, if we was, if we was good, we would remove the temptation from their paths. <laughs> and then they go and take it. Yep. The, anyway, that, that whole thing, I just, I love it so much. It's its definitely my favorite scene in this entire movie. And like you said, it, it definitely does hold a lot more weight because there's there, there's more stakes to it. Whereas the first, the one on the Cannibal Island is more kind of like, it's just kind of there to be there, like to have an interesting scene, which it is really interesting. Like I, I enjoy that scene too. Um, while I'm thinking about the cannibals, I love the part where, where Will's tied up. And then um, Jack goes over to him <laughs> and like he sniffs him and he goes, Unicky, snip, snip. <laughs> Connor. I um, love that part. I never, I, every time I'd watch this movie pre-release, I always thought he was telling him to take his nuts off. However, this time I watched it and I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> he's calling him a eunuch in a different language. How freaking yeah. brilliant to call back to the first film. <laughs> Whenever he calls him a eunuch. So brilliant, yet so subtle. It was so subtle to me, in fact, that I just got it in the year 2020. It took me that <laughs> long. Sorry, everybody. But, yep, I just got it. And I absolutely love and adore that little part, that snip snip eunuchy. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a fun, like, random callback. But, like, just because we've just watched the last one, it just it hits a lot. A lot better, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he's like, he's he gets caught, and he's like, paprika seasoning. Yeah, I actually really like the the cannibals have nothing to do with this plot, but I kind of love that they're there because they're just so weird. And it's just kind of like one of those welcome weird things that I really like in these movies. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do really, really enjoy that last scene. It is, it's so well choreographed and it's pretty easy to follow too, even though there are like three different motivations going on. Well, I guess four if you count the the duo pirates, but yeah, it's good. It's really good. Well, I do have to talk about something real quick. Um, in the scene at the Cannibal Island, um, whenever like that guy is hiding in the tree, that mm-hmm. used to scare the crap out of me, especially in the Dude. theater the first time. I hated that scene forever until yeah. like I got older and I was like, oh, I know when it's coming. But for the longest time, I always would forget that this guy was just hiding in a tree, he opens his eyes, and he goes, ah! and it's like, no, 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 
through this. Get out of it. <laughs> I, I forget about scene. it every time, Freddie. I've never watched this movie and remembered it because it got me again. Like the last time we watched it, like a couple days ago, because and Amanda is the same way. Like it gets her every time too, because she actually like literally jumps when it happens. <laughs> so I know exactly what you what you mean. Yeah, and then right before that, you get a really cool foreshadowing with the parrot because he's like, <laughs> "Don't eat me." <laughs> Don't eat me. I'm not going to eat you. It's such a fun little foreshadowing moment, though. All right, Connor. Well, that's, that's all I had to talk about that. If you have anything else to add on that, we'll add it. But if you want to move on to your next point, I'm sure we can go into depth on that as well. Yes. Um. Well, was, I'll kind of build it off of that one, too, because because uh, you, you were talking about the um, motivations that they each have and how there's more weight to it. Isn't it interesting that the one who actually wins out of that three-way is Norrington? Mm-hmm. And he's the one that you least root for, as at least for the average moviegoer, I guess. I mean, maybe there's someone out there who was rooting for James Norrington to win, but I know I wasn't. <laughs> anyway, he's the one that you don't expect to win, but he does. And that leads into one of my points that this is a really... Like in 2006, that's a bold move ending a summer blockbuster on a like a, such a big cliffhanger like that. Because not only that, but not only that happens where Norrington gets the heart and you don't know what's going to happen with that next, but Jack gets eaten by the Kraken. And mm-hmm. I'll be honest, when I watched this the last time, the time before last, this was a couple years ago because I, I had re- just really wanted to revisit these movies. And so because it had been so long. I forgot that the movie ended that way, and I was like, wait, no, there's got to be more, right? And there wasn't, and so I was really shocked by that. And I can't remember what I thought, like, the first time that I watched it, because obviously I forgot about it over time, but I wonder, like, what the writing room looked like, and who kind of greenlit that, you know, it's okay, we can end it on the cliffhanger like that. Because I feel like that would have made a lot of people mad back in... Well, maybe it did with the Rotten Tomatoes score, you know? I don't know. But I don't know. It just seems like a, a really bold move to me to, to end a movie like that, especially in 2006 time. Well, I mean, they could do it because literally 2007, they released the next one. So it wasn't like between like the first and second one where you had three years. They only had a year. So I'm sure... They were like, that's okay. We only have a year. Kind of like how they ended Infinity War with that yeah, cliffhanger. That... I'm sure mm-hmm. it was a very similar thing. They're like, it's okay. We only have a year. We're already working on the next one. So, like, I I can see where you're coming from. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Did we just kill off one of the most favorite characters of the franchise and leave everyone on a sour note? Yes, we did. Yeah. But it's okay. You'll have to wait a year. Because uh, uh, keep in mind, People in 2006 only had to wait till 2007. I mean, imagine if you were watching Star's Empire Strikes Back. And that ends on the crappiest cliffhanger where everyone's <laughs> yeah, in true. shambles. You just learned that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad. And then it ends. It's like, oh, that's the end mm. of the movie. You have to wait till 1983. <laughs> so they were lucky. They only had to wait a year to find when out When did what Empire happens. come out? Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980, and Return of the Whoa, Jedi didn't man. come out until 1983. Ooh. 
So that's rough. <laughs> yes. So compared to Dang. some endings that we get, you know, this one, at least it was only a year that they had to kind of like stew in it. Like we just lost Jack. What's the next one going to be? What's going to happen? But, you know, mm-hmm. we did lose Jack. But like, I, I don't know if you want to talk about this now or we can save it for later, even later still. You know, someone comes back who we didn't expect. Yeah, let's save it for just a little bit longer. Because all right, all right. I, well, I there you go, another tease. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I just I feel like it's not something that's done very often in film. And for like a movie, like I'm sure this movie had huge hype because the first one was so successful. And and obviously we saw how well it did at the box office. So I can just imagine that people were leaving the theaters fuming because, I mean, the only other movie that I can think, the only other two franchises I can think of that have done this is Infinity War after the fact. And you just mentioned uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. Like, I, I, don't, I can't really, I'm hard pressed to think of another two, two movies that have done it like this where it wasn't marketed as a part one and part two installment, you know? Yeah, not to that way. I mean, I I was going to say maybe The Dark Knight because that ends with Batman, you know, becoming the bad guy, even though we all know he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, even then, that, that's that a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they killed Batman off in the second one and we're like, wait, what? <laughs> what are we going to do now? Yeah, right. But, yeah. yeah, you are right. Like, if you look at a franchise, like, it's rarely done where they like leave you on this devastating cliffhanger because like losing jack sparrow i'm sure a little little freddy was not happy about oh yeah same (laughs) even though that is literally one of the coolest shots in the film where jack is going in with his sword to stab the kraken the kraken has all of its teeth devouring like that's that has to be like one of the greatest shots in film i know it's it's probably insignificant to a lot, but to me, like that's one of those shots that you're also never going to forget. But yeah. Hello, beastie. <laughs> I'm, tr- <laughs> I'm trying to look at like my movie collection and see if I can like spot any movies that ended on a cliffhanger. And I, I've got to be honest. I think it's very few that leave off like this. Mm-hmm. This one did. Yeah. So you're right in that regards. I'm sure people will comment and tell us some movies that you and I have never seen, or maybe we've seen and just have forgot about them. I'm sure there's got to be more, but like to this scale though, like this was a really big summer blockbuster, Mm -hmm. but anyway, yeah, that was just, it was just more of an observation, I guess, than any, I just, I just feel like it's a pretty big move for a studio to do that, which I guess if anyone was going to do it, it'd be Disney, you know, like. Like, you know, out of any movie studio, they would they would definitely come back from a hit better than probably most. And my last point, and I already kind of teased on it, and it unfortunately this is another negative one, kind of. But I feel like another thing that really drags on this movie is Elizabeth Swan. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me and, let me hear this. I want to hear this. <laughs> First of all, like, I don't really find her scenes incredibly interesting when she's, like, after she's broken out of, uh, well, her dad breaks her out of prison, and 
she's trying to get to Will, basically. I don't really find that too interesting, like, with her on the ship and, like, the spirit dress and all that, and then getting to Tortuga. To me, it really just kind of, like, is pulling back on the rest of the plot that they've already kind of established. So, I don't I don't know if there might have been a better way to do that. I guess it would have been weird if she just showed up randomly, but I don't know. That was kind of hard for me to follow. It's not like, you know, g- generally when they they do a pretty good job of subverting your expectations as far as like not using her as a damsel in, in distress. Although there are a couple moments where she's, you know, not really being used well. Like, I guess the one I'm thinking of right now is when they're all fighting for the key and she's just kind of complaining and she... I mean, she goes and helps, like, immediately that gets turned around because she gets part of the action, which I really enjoy that, too. Like, that's what I I think the point I'm trying to make is, like, I like it when she's involved in the forefront of the action, but she's not really involved in the action a whole lot in this movie. And then the one thing that I really hate that they did with her character, and you may have an entirely different view, I don't know, but... I hate that she leaves Jack to die on the ship because to me, it doesn't feel like it, it coincides with her character because literally like when she's with Jack on the, on the Pearl before they go to the beach, she's all like trying to feel out if he's a good guy. Like she's like, I know there's a good man inside of you and she's like taunting him, but in a weird way, trying to like prove the point. And then when she sees him being a coward, basically, she calls him a coward because he's sailing off on the dinghy to get away from the Kraken and leaving them all to fend for themselves. She calls him a coward, but then he comes back and proves her wrong and basically saves them. But then she still leaves him to die because he's or he's who the Kraken wants. And she's like, I'm not sorry. But the very next scene, she you can tell she's like she feels super guilty about it. So to me, that just didn't really feel like it served her character well. And I really don't like it. I don't know how you feel about it. I'm very interested to see what you feel about it. But that's kind of my thoughts on it. Oh, no, you are right. And I guess I've never put it into that much thought. But you bringing it to the forefront, you are completely right. Whenever she locks Jack Sparrow up, it's not Elizabeth Swan. It's someone else who <laughs> i don't know i don't know came out of the woodworks apparently yeah apparently the dark side of elizabeth swan came out at that point <laughs> but yeah you're right well, and it's it like it's it's like they're weird. trying to go for like this like she's very conflicted right like because she wants to be married she even says that but at the same time the compass keeps pointing to jack for her and so it's like does she want jack or does she just want like the pirate life like so there's like a conflict that they're trying to flesh out there they just don't do a good job of doing that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It is just, it's just one of those things that they, they didn't know how else to stick Jack and keep him on the boat. Because Jack was probably going to leave, you know, with the crew if she hadn't done that. But they just, I don't know. I guess they just felt like, let's just have her do it. Because it would be weird if... We had Josh and me Gibbs kiss Jack Sparrow and <laughs> lock him up to the ship. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or they just, yeah. for some reason, didn't want Jack to be show prove that he was 
even more good by like saying you guys go i'll stay on the ship which they could have easily done like he could have just by his own will stayed on the ship which because it's it's funny and interesting because like he does try to get off the like he wants to get off because you know he pours the hot wax on his hand and pulls his hand out and he's like Mm -hmm. he's gonna swim or something but then the kraken's there and he submits to it he doesn't fight it that much like yeah he goes in to stab the kraken but what's that gonna do against all those teeth like he knows he's Mm -hmm. has no hope at this point so it's almost like they could have they should have just had jack be like everyone go i'm gonna stay here you know because he makes the effort to like turn around and go back too Mm -hmm. yeah so i felt like it would have made his character a lot better and made the whole like conversation of is jack a good person a lot more relevant and makes sense in the end it just kind of makes it seem a little weird. It's like, well, is he a good person mm-hmm. at this point? We still don't know. <laughs> it's never actually proven at that point. Yeah, and well, because then even at the end, they're all like, because um, they're like doing their toasts for Jack, and even like uh, never another like Jack there is, and then like they're all like giving him praise, like he's like this really good captain. So, I don't know. And then, then that's the scene where Elizabeth feels like crap. You can tell on her face. She's like, he's a good man. And like, she's like trying not to cry. I I just don't like that. I don't like that they made that decision to do it that way. Like, I, I, I get that they needed to end the movie a certain way, but I, I feel like they could have found a better way to do it. Yeah, it is weird. Her part is just convoluting the plot even more. All they had to do was show Elizabeth, like... You just see, like, all these men, like, on the ship, like, cleaning and stuff. And, like, you, the camera's going through the boat, and it's going towards her, and you don't know it's her. And she turns her head, and she's, like, cleaning, and she, like, hides. That's all they would have had done and would have gotten that, the point across. That is across true. Yeah. So much better. And, like, the the people could have just been going to Tortuga originally. They didn't have to be mm-hmm. coerced by a, a ghost to go there. Like, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. It just makes it a whole thing. Look, you can even go further back than that. And like we were saying earlier, you could potentially just take Beckett out of this particular film and Elizabeth wouldn't be in jail. Find another way to get Will to want to go to Jack for some reason. And then Elizabeth could even sneak on with Will out of defiance. Like because that's like her whole MO. Like she she doesn't want to be bossed around. And she's got a, you know, she's, she's, she's like defiant and which that's fine. Like, I like that about her. I just don't like kind of the way they took her in this movie at the end. So I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's this movie for me. Those are my thoughts. Good and bad. Well, I feel like we've pushed it off for a little long enough now. I think everyone's waiting for us. You know, at the end of this movie, it's revealed that who has come back none other than barbosa and in mm-hmm. one of the coolest most ominous ways that he came back and i just want to go over the trivia i have that i've read in quite a few places and seen on you know sites and stuff that on that day none of the crew knew that he was going to walk out and as barbosa so None of those actors knew that was going to happen. So whenever he comes down, 
all the actors, their emotions, everything you see, that's real. They are actually genuinely surprised to see him walk out and say, what's become of my ship? They're all surprised to see that. They got their genuine real reactions. That's what I've heard. If it's true, that's amazing. If it's not, oh, well, filmmaking. But still, I would like to I like to believe it's true because like. I hope it is, man. The look on all of their faces is like, what? No way. He's on the set with us again. How is he back? That's awesome. So that's what I've heard about Hector Barbosa returning that no one knew about it. It was not written in the script. And he just was there and he got to say his little line. And that's how you get to see the end of the film. Dang, that's crazy, man. Well, I have something that this is... I. I noticed something in this film that I've never noticed before. And the first time they're at Tia Dalma's and the monkey goes out of the cage, he goes over to some other room and he is looking at none other than Captain Barbosa because you can see his boots mm-hmm. sticking out from behind a curtain. And I never noticed that before. So that was a really cool foreshadowing detail that they put in there just for that one scene and i never noticed it before but it begs the question how did he get there you know like how did he get off of the <laughs> island <laughs> just cool that we have him back yeah it is so you knew that then right did you know that yeah, he, his I, boots I were in always, that scene mm-hmm. yeah i'd always see okay. his boots so then what's the thing that you noticed for the first time in this film i'm curious about that now because you said that you had one too Yes, um, it's actually, it's quite a nitpick because it creates a huge continuity error in the film. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I say huge, but it's not, it's, it's more of like a small thing, but it's like, wait a minute, why wasn't this talked about? So whenever they're at the Cannibal Island and we have Will and half of the, well, part of the crew, um, in that little cage is Will the midget guy, Joshimi Gibbs, the guy with the parrot, and then um, there's also there's also a black dude with them. Okay, he escapes with them. He gets on the black pearl, and he's never and there again. Then whenever no 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 not yet. Then they get on the little um uh, little boats the the dinghies and they mm-hmm. go to Teodormas. He's in the boat with Jack Sparrow rowing the boat. However, when we get to Teodormas, he is gone. Absolutely missing from the scene. (laughs) And whenever they're like, mind the boats, mind the boats, mind the boats. The only crew member left is Cotton. Yeah, and he can't speak. The black guy is gone. He's nowhere (laughs) to be found. Even when they're walking around in Teodormas, not there. It's just it's just the the guys that we know, but for some reason, at the end of the movie in the final battle for the pearl, he reappears and he actually picks up the gun to shoot the gunpowder, but then he's oh. ripped away yeah, by the cracker. That's right. mm-hmm. They made him reappear just to kill him off. That is this, very weird. <laughs> this poor guy escapes with the crew off the Cannibal Island. He survives that. Then they just forgot to 
put him in the scenes where he should have been there. Yeah, it's that's like they, really weird. It's like they didn't put him in the scenes because he wasn't relevant. But it's like you had him rowing the boat to Teodormas <laughs> and then he just disappears. I the only like explanation I can come up with just and it's just like to get rid of him is his family was there with Teodorma in that little water village and that's why he's not there. However, that's just a fan thing and we all know they simply forgot to put him in the scenes for some <laughs> reason, but they only bring him back to murder oh, him man. by the Kraken. <laughs> Brutally. Might but I yeah, add. I, I noticed that the first time. So in that's really interesting because I'm going to use that to segue into one of my nitpicks that is probably my biggest nitpick of this movie. And it's that the only people who ever survive these dire situations are the people that you care about. The ones from the last movie particularly. Because in the cage, you've got a bunch of Middle Eastern dudes in one cage, and then in the other cage, conveniently, you've got Gibbs, uh, Cotton, the tiny dude, Will Turner, and um, the the black dude, like you were just saying. So they th- they are the ones who survive, whereas the other ones come to a very brutal end by falling down that <laughs> ravine. And then, not only that, but later on in the film, uh, with the Kraken battle, who are the only people to survive? Well, again, it's Mr. (laughs) Gibbs, the eyeball dude, the poppet dude, Cotton, uh, the tiny dude, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan. Unfortunately, the black guy didn't make it. I'm sorry, but... (laughs) (laughs) He didn't make it that time. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) It's... and I know that that's like, you know, that's a movie trope. Like, they're always, they're not going to kill off the people that everyone loves. But it just, it really, like, stood out to me in this one. Like, they didn't, they were just safe. The stakes were very low with them. You knew they were going to survive. <laughs> uh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that also brings up another nitpick because I mentioned that Will Turner, uh, Will Turner was also in the cage with them. Well, <laughs> Freddie, I have a question for you. How did they get Will Turner in that cage? <laughs> because everyone else is presumably already in those cages, dangling who knows how many feet in the air off of that bridge. And they have to, they have to like, wheel it up, take off bones, put them in it, and tie more bones around it to just to get Will Turner in that cage, and then resuspend it 50 feet below. <laughs> like I was thinking about that and I was like wait how did Turner get there because everyone else was already there <laughs> I don't know maybe they told him to climb down and get in and he found a way in I don't know why, why he would listen <laughs> he to that to climb but... down there would be a hole in the cage that they could get out of later <laughs> they wouldn't have had to roll it <laughs> <laughs> again it's just one of those things you have to be like yep it happened I don't know yeah. how, but it happened. Here's a nitpick, and it's a pretty significant one. So, Jack Sparrow falls a gazillion <laughs> feet, but he bursts through all these bridges, and he's okay. No. Ombre would have died 
so many times. After one bridge, like, your back's broken. You're gone. Like, that's it. But then he goes through 50 other bridges, and then he, he, man, he thumps the ground so hard. It's boom. And then he almost gets impaled in the face, and then he gets up. He gets up and runs. It's like, no. You would be Spider-Man 2, Peter Parker. Ow! My back! My back! You would be dead. I'm sorry, sir. Like, the only reason he survived is because he's a main character. Like, <laughs> he would have oh. the wind knocked out of him, dude. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way he could have even ran. He would just be like, oh, God. It he would have like died. With the freaking raccoon eyes <laughs> and the ice. <laughs> next nitpick can you guess what it is it's how did jack survive the fall on the cannibal <laughs> island yeah i don't know <laughs> jack sparrow's just he must have an iron back because there's <laughs> no way there's literally no way that's <laughs> the thing is the bridges don't even break his fall like he smashes through the bridges it's crazy Oh my gosh. Oh, I gotta catch my breath. I have to catch my breath. Just like Jack should have had to catch his breath after that fall. <laughs> I don't know how Jack Sparrow even got up after that. Mm, that got out of hand. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna get, hit you with another nitpick. This one's kind of funny, but when the Kraken is taking over the Pearl... And it's, like, slowly sliding its tentacles up. And, you know, like, they're getting ready to shoot him with the cannons and everything. But Will's, like, making them hold fire. For some reason, the Kraken decides to put its tentacles over every single cannon porthole that the Black Pearl has. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I, I could see one or two, maybe. But literally, when it's getting shot every tentacle gets blasted by a cannon and there's no like if it had just been a foot over it would have been fine it wouldn't have been hit with the cannon so that was like that was pretty dumb to me it makes for a cool scene don't get me wrong but it's definitely nitpick worthy Mm -hmm. and then my last nitpick is when um when davy jones sees that you know, it's it's when uh, Jack Sparrow's going, I've got a job, dude, I've got a job, dude. <laughs> so he's obviously, like, basically hint- hinting at Davy Jones that, yo, I've got your heart in this. You better call off your attack. Davy Jones does not call off the attack, as we well know. Was that a chance he was willing to take? Like, did he think Jack was bluffing? 
And also, why didn't he just check the chest before, just to make sure, like, if he had just checked to see if the heart was there beforehand, he probably could have made better ground at re-securing the heart, you know? Yeah, you're right. Do you do you <laughs> think he was calling Jack's bluff, or do you think that he just didn't care? I don't know. Maybe he just wanted Jack dead at that point. He was like, I'm done with this guy. I don't need him anymore. Just maybe, kills him. Maybe. I guess he was willing to take the chance. He That's a big, pretty yeah. big chance, because it's like, what if you kill Jack and you... Un- unfortunately kill yourself too i don't know yeah he was just he was just willing to like he was just done at that point i think i guess it re- will never be known but what are your last nitpicks ready so i only have one more and it's freaking ridiculous um so when did elizabeth swan get so amazing at puppetry and rigging up an entire puppet <laughs> Be honest with me. How? How? <laughs> and how did she have so much range on this ship? Because we first see it, and it's in the back of the ship. Then, it's in the middle of the boat. She would have had to hop around <laughs> on the, the sails of the ship to have that much range of movement. Like... Her rig it shows it. It's two brooms yeah. and like three strings. <laughs> That's it. She she <laughs> must be an amazing puppeteer because like I it must be a hidden talent of hers because there's no freaking way that she can even do that. Like there's no way. But okay, it happens, right? Governor Swan just like made her take puppetry classes from a very young age to get her to stop thinking about pirates. <laughs> I don't know. I, I That's guess. so stupid. <laughs> it's like one You're of the right, stupidest though. things to learn. Puppetry. <laughs> ah, yes. Perfect for you, Mrs. Swan. I don't know. That's yeah, so that true, funny. though. Like, she literally slides it about 50 feet. Not 50 feet, but like 10 feet. And she's literally on like this tiny little freaking sail mask there's no way she would have been able to do that yeah so there's that also she's able to apparently will trusts her enough to shoot like the one shot that they have to kill the crack or to harm the kraken because he trusts her with it he's like uh you better not miss how much practice has she had with the gun up to this point (laughs) You know, right. she's not she's not a royal guard. I mean, how much aim does she have? So, I don't know. I, I do not think that that was a good choice by Will Turner, in my opinion. I think he should have given it to Gibbs uh-huh. or someone else. I don't know. Um, Those are all very good nitpicks. But yeah, that's that's all I've got on this movie, though. I don't know if you had any other, like, trivia bits that you wanted to hit on but that's literally everything that i wanted to talk about <clears throat> well i do have this one thing i put a star by it um it has it has become like the thing like it, be- it was the thing for a while that disney would play with their movies um i don't know if you remember it uh jack sparrow is like we have our heading and of course that here we the go popular thing. here we go Ta-da! Disney movies. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yep, I know what you're I talking about. I think that's about. pretty cool. It's like, oh, wow. That literally became a piece of their own history that they reuse to like show their other grand movies. Yeah. And um, 
actually, I realized I have one more nitpick. I didn't mark it as a nitpick. I have no clue why I didn't. But um, it's the scene where Will goes to take the keys from Davy Jones. I have a nitpick about this too. And I forgot. he he like goes in and he drops Davy Jones' tentacle on the um organ. <laughs> it's okay, super first freaking of all, loud too. Everyone can hear that on the boat. That's not a thing that only Davy Jones can hear. Everyone <laughs> can hear that. that because is true. It, that it's shown later because you can hear um the organ being played and then it stops. And you hear Davy Jones coming. So it's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Everyone would have been like, hey, what's going on? Why does he only play those two notes? But then, <laughs> thank God, thank God, the little music box started playing right as that happened. Otherwise, Will would have been screwed. Davy Jones would have waken up, killed Will. <laughs> but thank goodness, the little music box starts playing. And then... Also, coincidentally, stops playing right after Will leaves. I I thought that that was weird, too. Why did they make it a point to stop the music box when he left? That was weird to me. But that's not my nitpick about this scene. Those are all valid nitpicks, for sure. But mine is that he freaking replaces the key, this hard, cold metal <laughs> key, with a bundle of fabric. <laughs> There's no way that feels the same. They were trying to do like an Indiana Jones thing where he like, it's the the approximate weight of the idol head. No, Mm-mm, you're not convincing me. That feels completely different from cold hard metal. <laughs> There's no way. So that that was a nitpick that I forgot to say. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there was, I, I'm told, I can't believe I forgot about that nitpick. But yep, <laughs> that was a nitpick. Alright, so without further ado, let's get into our rankings, and Freddy, I'm gonna let you go first since I went first last time. Here we go! So do you want my... Here we uh, like, go! Here, <laughs> <laughs> doggy, here we go. Um, Do you want the ranking of the film as far as, like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or do you want, like, the 1 through 10 number ranking I gave it? I, wa- I want your score from 1 to 10 first. Okay. So... I gave this film a solid nine. Oh, man. That's how much I enjoyed this film. Because, like, that last half of the film really pulls me in. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just ending out, like, with a film that just grabs you is always such an amazing feeling. Because it's like, oh, my goodness. It pulled me in and didn't let me go. So, yeah, that's just that's just me personally. See, I started out at an eight for this movie, like right after my viewing. And then I ended up cutting off another half a point when I was typing everything up because I really like I couldn't forgive some of the things with the plot. So I ultimately ended on a 7.5 for this one, which is still really good. Like this is a really fun movie. And I still think it's like the one I like best from childhood. Just with all of the fun moments in it and everything. But I had to put it at a 7.5 for me. So that begs the question, which one do you like better out of the first two Pirates movies? Well, Connor, I I feel like it's not going to be any surprise because I gave (laughs) this one a higher rating at this point. 
but I definitely put Dead Man's Chest over Black Pearl in this occasion. Don't get me wrong. I love both of these movies. It's just, I guess if I was to put one on, I'd probably put the second one on because I would like, I like feeling good after watching a movie and just, this movie made me feel good. I know it kind of ends on like, oh no, Jack's gone. What are we going to do? But like, I guess it's because I have the knowledge of the next film. I'm kind of, it kind of gets you pre-excited for the next film in a way. But so that, that's just me personally, Connor. What about you? How did you, what, what, how did you do? Are we the same? Are we different? I am ready to see. This one, this one is so, so hard for me because I do really like, like, this is my favorite one from when I was a child, but I, I really think at least now this, this totally could change when we are watching when after we watch the next one but right now i'm going to put the black pearl at number one and dead man's chest at number two spot like i said that could change we're different right now but this one's is so hard for me to rank as far as enjoyment goes because that's how i rank them as far as like which ones Mm -hmm. i like the best i try to go with enjoyment level for the like the one, two, three ranking, and then my numerical score, I guess you could call it. I try to go based on like how well the film is made. So, so yeah, that there you have it, guys. We are different already on this one, which is really interesting know, because we were the early. same for for so long on X Men until that changed. But yeah, there you have it, guys. We are already different. But let us know what you think because that's what we really want to know here. Is like. What do you guys, how do you guys rate these films? What are your rankings of them? Um, do you think this is a good film? Do you think it's a bad film? Hopefully you think it's a good film because we really love it. I just have so many good memories of, of this whole franchise. Or at least the first three. I keep saying that because I haven't seen the, the fifth one. So we'll see. But um, what else do we want to, we want to talk about our Instagram. I'll let you do that, Freddie, because I did it last time. Well, guys, as you all know, we say every week, but just a reminder for any new listeners we have, and just a reminder for all listeners as well, we do have an Instagram page. It's at Cinema Seekers Pod, and um, it's just pod, not podcast, so please get mm-hmm. that right so you can get to our page and like all of our stuff and you know follow us to keep up to date with what we're doing. Connor usually yes. posts whenever he has finished editing the podcast and so you can know right away oh i can listen to it and then you can you know you can also listen to our stuff right from the app um anchor which is also connected to spotify so if you're a spotify person you can either do spotify or anchor it's up to you and then now uh connor you know has told me we have apple podcast and um if you really want to help us uh what i've heard is if you go on there, give our podcast a like and a rate and a review, it will kind of put us up in the ratings there and it could have the potential to get us a sponsorship. Maybe. I don't know. It's really mm-hmm. up to you guys. Yeah. We're definitely a smaller podcast as far as I know. It's up to you guys if you want us to get bigger or not. But I'm going to be honest with you. Me and Connor are always going to be doing this as long as we can and are able yeah. to. So just letting you know that right now, like even if we don't get sponsorship, you guys never have to worry about us just going poof unless the world ends. Then, of course, you know, <laughs> there will. Yeah, be I, I really kind of view like 
the whole Apple podcast things is just like a it kind of makes it feel like we're more official in a way. So I, I really do like the fact that we're now available on Apple podcast because that's the that's the podcast platform that so many people use. That's what I use to listen to all of my podcasts. But also, like Freddie mentioned, we're available on Anchor. We're also available on Spotify. But even beyond that, I'm looking at the list of all the um, platforms that we're available on. I haven't even heard of some of these, but go check us out on them if that's what you listen through. Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Mm -hmm. and Google Podcasts are all other platforms you can listen to us on. So check us out. You know, leave us rates, reviews, whatever you want to do. And um, get involved on Instagram because that's where we really can, I feel like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, respond to you guys the easiest. Uh. I know that we've said this before, too. You can also leave voice messages on the Anchor app if you have it. And we can feature those in episodes, and we'd love to do that, too. But seeing as we have been recording for quite a while on this episode, we should probably go ahead and get to a stopping point. So, um, last little bits, go watch um, At World's End next week. It'll be fun to revisit. That's, That's... I haven't seen that one in so long, man. So I'm really going to enjoy going back to it. I think I've seen the fourth one since then. And I've seen this obviously the first two since then. So it'll be really <laughs> interesting for me to go revisit that movie. And you guys should do it as well so that you can kind of know what we're talking about. Maybe would make the listening experience more fun for you guys. So if other than that, if there's anything else you have ready, go ahead and say it now or forever hold your peace. Nope, I have nothing else to add. I think we've plugged all of our stuff, and I think it's time for us to sign off and tell you guys goodbye. All right, you heard it from him. Uh, Once again, we are the Cinema Seekers. We appreciate you listening in, and we are now saying goodbye.